Welcome to the CRISPR revolution. This is CRISPR Cuts, a podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. Take a break and join us as we guide conversations with an expert CRISPR cast about this cutting edge science. Welcome to a new episode of CRISPR Cuts. I want to start with a big announcement. My co-host, Kevin Bryant, is back on the podcast. Now, our regular listeners probably know him from the first few episodes of our podcast. But if you are new or if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out those episodes. They're great. So welcome back, Kevin. I'm really excited to have you back. Thanks, Minu. Great to be back. Definitely listening past year or two while I was away, but really excited to be back here on the other side of the mic and sitting next to you. And also what a perfect timing to be back because in today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Kiana Ara, the CS of CardioBio and Associate Professor at Keck Graduate Institute. Now, for those of you who might have heard previous podcast episodes sometime, you know Kiana already. But for those of you who haven't heard that, She's the inventor of CRISPR chip and more recently SNP chip, which combine CRISPR and electronics for detection of specific DNA sequences in sample, which as you can imagine has applications in diagnostics. So we're really excited about her work. Now, Kiana recently won the Nature Research Award for inspiring women in science. And she also had a very special announcement with it, both of which we'll cover in today's episode. Yeah, I really loved the previous episode on the podcast when you had Kiana as a guest. And more recently, the panel discussion you led with her as one of the panelists at World CRISPR Day. I'm really looking forward to chatting with her again. So let's get started. Hi, Kiana. Welcome back to CRISPR Cuts podcast. First of all, big congratulations on receiving the Nature Research Award for Inspiring Women in Science last week. Tell us more about this award. And more importantly, what was your reaction when you found out that you won this? So this award uh, is designed by Nature Research to acknowledge the women achievement in science during their early careers. It's really designed to promote women work in terms of like, you know, introducing them toward introducing their accomplishment and how they basically, how their work was, uh, you know, leaving an impact early on. And um, I think the hope is that it opens up a path for women in leadership roles. I was really fortunate to be, first of all, shortlisted with this among six other wonderful scientists. I got to you know, know about their work. And these female scientists were from all across the, the globe. It's not only US-based. And um, you know, went through the website, looked at their work and uh, their accomplishment. And uh, I was just happy to be a part of the top six. And uh, you know, I was not expecting to win at all. I was, you know, once you get selected there for a month, we had a program where we had a few mentors. They would talk about, you know, leadership with us. They would talk about how to promote ourselves. I really enjoyed, you know, engaging in that community and it gave us access to previous winner and, uh, you know, engaging with them was really nice. So that was already a win for me. And uh, before I win the award, I actually reached out to one of the other nominees uh, in Berkeley, and we had plans to actually have dinner with each other and see if we can work with each other. So it, I really looked at it as a way for me to collaborate with this woman as well before I knew that I was going to win the, the award. And um, I prepared my speech because they asked us to prepare a speech in, in case we win. So I did that like 10 minutes before the, the actual ceremony, just in case. And um, it happened. It was a really, really nice moment for me. And uh, it's 
being recognized and I felt like my whole life was basically playing like a movie in my head and it was an important achievement for me not only because it was like a women achievement but also more importantly because it was based on science it was based on your effort in achieving something that I was really proud of to see the world recognizing and and acknowledging my effort so it was really, it was really nice and I made a decision that day that I will pay it forward you know one way or the other I can only imagine how exciting this must be and I mean it just sounds amazing to be shortlisted and meet with all these other nominees so winning is obviously just a cherry on top as well but I am just amazed by your dedication to science in general and I remember in our previous podcast episode I had asked you what would you be if you were not a scientist and you said I I can't think of anything I would I probably I mean I had to be a scientist I couldn't be anything else so could you uh, just tell more about like how this mindset developed and how your early years influenced you into like just the importance of education and science in your life science became something that i could not see myself without actually 2012 basically when i started my postdoc because before that i was really exploring to see what i wanted to do it was mostly like around science but i really didn't know what my career would look like my parents were both teachers and uh, throughout, you know, I had a difficult childhood, you know, growing in a war zone and, and uh, having to live in shelters and, and uh, school closures. You know, my mom always uh, homeschooled us. And uh, that was an important lesson to me that no matter, you know, what life brings to you, education should be your top priority. Like even if you didn't know if tomorrow you're going to be dead or alive, but today you have to, you know, learn something. So that mentality has been with me, you know, even throughout my postdoc, I would go and attend, you know, undergrad classes if I was interested in the topics. I, there was no shame in me to in wanting to learn. So that was really, I think it was really initiated from my childhood that learning was important. Also, again, growing up in a situation where resources were very limited, I really learned to take every opportunity seriously and learn from it. So if I had time, an hour, for example, that I could go sit down in a class and learn something new, it's an opportunity for me, right? If I saw a new class that was you know, offered or a new internship that I found a flyer for, that was an opportunity for me. So I would not let those opportunities to go by without at least applying for them. And I think this has been my mentality for anything in life. So the love for science and really pursuing a career in science was something that I um, I really, you know, got to during my postdoc. I was an electrical engineer during my undergrad, didn't like it that much. I was I wanted to be a top student, so I was really doing very well in my classes. Then I got myself involved in a biology lab. I was um, growing cells. Well, I should say I was killing cells most likely because I was a very messy engineer who was allowed to do cell culture work at the time. So I got myself exposed to you know, biology at that age. And um, I was programming for NASA, also for NOAA, for their satellite. I was doing ocean health and uh, I did an internship in uh, at Cornell University and microfab and working on like quantum dots and physics. So I got myself exposed to every possible thing that I could get my hand on. And then uh, I also took pre-med classes because I was like, maybe I want to go to medical school because I really like human body. I really like the, the you know, biology. And uh, during my PhD, I decided to go 
and Dubai Medical Engineering because it was sort of in between engineering and biology and human health. And uh, it was during my postdoc where I got control over my project mostly. And I was lucky because I was an NIH fellow, so I was fully funded. And uh, I was basically playing with science. I was imagining things and out of imagination with, you know, there would be a product, there would be a project. So um, this was when I really, really started to enjoy, you know, science. It was the most magical thing for me. And I would, uh, my fun time, it was having a glass of wine and just designing project and sitting down and chatting with my friend about new ideas. And Berkeley was very stimulating, you know, in terms of like, you know, you see people, you know, learning all the time, taking classes, business classes, you know, entrepreneurship classes. So I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was at that moment, which I really figured out that um, I wanted to remain in science. I wanted to design devices. I wanted to be at the intersection between engineering and, and biology and design um, products for human health. I also wanted my work to leave an impact. I didn't want to just publish and perish. I didn't want to design a project where once it got published and it was over. I wanted to publish and, and work on projects that were meaningful because that was the only way that I could wake up in the morning and feel that my work would leave an impact. And um, I am continuing the same thing basically now as a faculty at uh, the university and a CSO of my company. I wake up, you know, excited about going to work and excited about new sciences. And uh, every time I have time off or it's my vacation, it's a new book. And I keep telling my mentees that, you know, you really don't have to have a PhD to learn something new. You can decide to become an expert in something and just read about it and educate yourself. And um, really the, the process of learning, it's something that we, we will have until the last day of our life. Especially, you know, if you're living in a country where you have access to all of these resources and possibilities, you should really focus on opportunities and try to learn things. And it really keeps you, I think it keeps you young. Being involved in science and keeping your brain active all the time and, uh, you know, enjoying the incredible thing that science offers, it just, uh, you know, keeps me, you know, on the go, happy and uh, excited about what I want, what I do. You know, things, it's so great to hear about the, the early days in your career, the path you took, the opportunities you went after, and how you really just made your own opportunities and made the best of them. And just wanted to touch on something you, you mentioned about you made the decision to kind of pay it forward. So those coming after you will have the same or more opportunities and maybe even a bit easier path. Um, so, so on that, you, you recently made an announcement about a new venture you're starting, the Iran Nebula. And um, yeah, I'd really like to hear more about that. What What is that? And how do you expect that to help the next generation achieve their goals? So I was thinking that, you know, uh, when I won the award, I was thinking of how do I actually utilize that award to the best possible way? And uh, actually, it was an idea of one of my colleagues. He mentioned, OK, you've been always talking about things that bothered you about, you know, issues, women involvement in, you know, industry and how they are questioned about their gender more often than they're questioned about their capabilities. That was a great idea. And I, um, I was really happy that, uh, you know, to take that on and start this, um, this venture. So the goal of Iran Nebula, it's not based on gender. What I'm really focusing here is that 
How do we give rise to scientists? How do we help scientists take more leadership role? You know, about 50% of universities or even more, you know, university degrees are awarded to women now. And we're doing a great job in promoting STEM in, in young females. And you see this number are increasing even in, in fields that, you know, normally, you know, uh, female did not used to go. So the beginning of the funnel is we're working on it and we're improving. The problem is after graduation, you know, the number of women who have, who are taking leadership roles or influential roles is decreasing. And it's not significant at all. It's not improving. And um, it's a broken funnel. So we have, if we're fixing the beginning of it, we need to pay attention to the end of it too. And again, it's not about gender, but it's mostly about, you know, unlocking the power of education. If you're educating 50%, if you're putting so much resources on educating women, you're losing half of this talent when, you know, uh, you want to use the science to actually actually bring solution to humankind and, and healthcare and, and all sort of, you know, global problems. So that was really my goal. But then to solve the issue of unlocking um, the power of education, to make sure that, you know, the research and discoveries that are done in, in academic institution are not just basically perished and they go to, you know, useful things and impactful things, you need to address the issue of what happens to these women who are taking part in universities significantly, basically. And uh, the major thing is that we don't have many role models, right? Having role models that can, you know, that have a gravity to pull you to the field, it's important. So the nebula is actually definition of a nebula. And by the way, the nebula was a name that my son came up with. The nebula is a you know, molecular dust in deep space where stars are born. And uh, when the force of gravity basically overcomes the force, the outward force of uh, you know, limitation is where we can actually bring more women in and uh, you know, create more stars. And I think it's beautiful because there are limitations. There's limitation can be societal, can be financial, can be economical. And they're not all gender-based limitations, right? There are other sort of limitations. You know, there you can you might have a physical limitation. You really have to focus on possibilities, opportunities that you have. You know, otherwise you just become a victim of limitations. And uh, there are limitations, you know, but there are also incredible amount of possibilities that you know we have, especially in Western countries. You know, the possibilities are enormous. You know. So taking advantage of those possibilities and overcoming the outward force of uh, limitation is the first step we can take. How do we do that? By providing tools and uh, training to women who have the potential to become scientists. It's not that every person, you know, feels like, okay, I want to become a leader and um, they can become a part of the nebula. The nebula, at least the way we are designing it, it right now is to bring in women in science who have shown that they have the capability of becoming wonderful leaders. And these are the women who can, you know, contribute to um, or become members in the Nebula. We will be offering, you know, training programs, certified training programs, how to become a board member, how to start your startup, how to become a better leader, and, you know, training in that level. And this is how we're establishing this. So basically, membership is not open for everyone. It's a global net. It's a, you. You create a global network, 
but then it's mostly designed for scientists because the goal of the nebula is to, you know, ensure that scientists play a role in shaping the future. And when we say scientists, meaning all scientists, male and female. And uh, I think that the day that we have balance in people we educate and what we, the outcome of that education into product, into something that is useful for uh, humankind is uh, where I see this uh, nebula will be, like the, the nebula will be dissolved, at least not dissolved, but like when the balance is there between male and female in all industry, that's when we can say, okay, we have trained all this male and female and we have provided them with opportunities to actually take the science to the next level and make impactful product. That's what the goal of the nebula is. Of course, it's very early stage. We established this. We're, you know, I'm hoping that I can collaborate with nature and Estee Lauder and other people who were actually shortlisted on the Nature Award to bring them in because every single one of those women were were impactful. And I feel like it's my duty to also get them involved because they did it the hard way. I did it the hard way. But some of the training that we learned can be useful for other scientists who can potentially become stars. It's such a great organization. There's Really, the only investment is in the early stage of the career, like learning how to do science, but making the transition to being a leader to lead the next generation. Yeah, people figure it out on their own. And a lot of great leaders don't end up in a position to stay great leaders. So this is really great. Um, great idea. And I'm so happy that you're that this is what you're choosing to do with, with the award. Thank you. And, you know, and these are lofty goals, right? Like you, when you think of all these uh the current statistics of women in leadership and how you want to bring about this change. This is a great start in that direction. Is there a reason particularly why you decided to not only focus on females for these trainings and, and moving forward? And this is open to all scientists, as you said, or like, yeah, what was your thought process behind this? So we're going to start with women. But uh, what I'm trying to say, yes, we're going to start with women with, with potential, but I don't want the goal of the net to be only women because that's not I'm not trying to solve a you know a gender issue I'm just trying to solve an issue which is related to gender if I'm making it's making sense here it's looking at the all of this potential that are being missed because of this gender imbalance right so it's it's the focus is science the focus is you know really helping female not to you know get that education and do nothing with it right because we do need all the great minds to come together to unite for us to be able to collaborate, for us to be able to solve uh, the problems that humankind are facing. This is the goal, right? So, of course, we're going to start with women because that's where most of our resources are being wasted. And, uh, you know, we will reach, if we reach a point that, you know, we can also get other people involved, we would definitely do it. But to start with, we need to to balance this gender imbalance between the resources that we spend on women, educating them, you know, and making sure that that education and those great minds they they actually get to a level where they can they can collaborate with each other and they can you know produce impactful um, solution to humans' problem. I really like how you phrase that, and it's really more about reaching an equilibrium and not necessarily tilting the scales in another direction anyways it's, it's really more just encouraging whoever deserves it and and making sure they reach their full potential so we'll, we'll obviously be keeping track of that and hopefully you know have you on with more to report more of your progress but meanwhile i know you are already involved in 
Cardia Bio, you're doing, uh, you're an associate professor at Tech Graduate, and now you have this another thing uh, to look into. So how do you balance all these different appointments and, you know, just kind of thinking of your day-to-day, just tell us a little bit more about how, how that works for you. So first of all, you have to like what you do. That's number one. Two is one of the things that you learn in as a leader is to collaborate with other people. You know, you don't have to do everything alone. You create a circle of people that you trust around you. And each of those people, they, they have their own circle of trust around them. One thing I do, and I think it's really helping me in advancing many things at the same time, is that I collaborate a lot. I get other people who are excited, who have the same mission and vision with me on this path. My plan is to bring all the women who were shortlisted or the winner from previous years to, with me and convince them to be a part of this. And uh, this is how you can move your projects forward. Not only like, you know, this, this venture, but any projects, you know, your scientific project, your industry project, all of these, they move forward through collaboration. And as a leader, you learn how to make team, how to build teams, how to create a good culture between your team members how to motivate them about things that motivates you and ensure that, you know, they also have the same motivational factor, the same uh, mission in life and vision from life. And uh, this is how I have been able to progress with my academic career and in my role at Kadia Bayou. And I'm hoping I could do the same with the help of, you know, other wonderful, you know, scientists and other people who are who are already, you know, have expressing uh, that they want to be a part of this and help. So, yes, collaborating, collaboration. Kiana, you're clearly the inspiration to many people um, around the world, men and women. And just like to add, uh, my own daughter is on that list. She heard you speak recently at World CRISPR Day. She's five years old now. So that was really cool to have her next to me during that. But I want to know if you could speak a little bit about who your inspirations are. And maybe first, like your, your first inspirations as you're getting started in your career. How did they inspire you? And maybe push you to be where you are now? So my life inspiration of not giving up and focusing is really my mom because uh, she's also a happy person. She continued her college education while she had us as kids and while working and while homeschooling us. And she was an active and she's still a very active person. And uh, I get a lot of my energy from her, I think. Having said that, I did have uh, some... um, PIs and teachers that throughout my training really, you know, helped me with my scientific thinking, I would say, in terms of how to think about project, how to, you know, not be scared of uh, verbalizing my scientific ideas, basically helped me have intellectual bravery. But, you know, in terms of a leader, there were a few women that I would look up to, like, you know, Jennifer Doudna. I, I loved her as a very successful female, not only because of her academic success, but also establishing, you know, IGI and working around and really spreading the use of CRISPR. So I think she played a major role in that. So these women were all inspirational for me. I think there's still lack of enough women in the field that could inspire you that, okay, do not do not be afraid of, you know, getting into a room where there is, where you feel like you have a lack of expertise. Do not be afraid of, you know, expressing your opinion. Do not be afraid of, afraid of reaching out to people. Do not be afraid of failure. You know, you fail in preparation for success. 
So I think I wish I had more role models. I think the majority of the female that you see, you know, get to leadership roles and executive roles are very courageous, resilient women that nothing could stop them. But I don't see many, many role models because men have a lot of role models because there's a lot of them that have been in those positions. So they can look around, they can work in a workplace and they can they can have a, you know, accessible role model. For us, it's a bit more different and difficult, but you don't have to have a one role model, right? You know, you can, you can just take one characteristic that you like from one person, another thing that you like from another person. But the major one, I think for me was my own motivational factor. And, um, the drive that I had for life, the focus that I had on the positive thing than the, the ignorance I had, you know, towards the negative things. I did not pay attention to negative things much. You know, I did not, you know, focus on those. And I think that was a major player in where I am today. That's just so inspiring. Every time I hear you describe, like, you know, whenever you're talking about science, it's just very apparent that you're so passionate about it. And I, when you mentioned about like in your undergraduate courses or actually as a postdoc that you would attend other courses and just learn more, I feel like when we first spoke and then you were talking about your background and how you kind of then got in touch with CRISPR, right? Like it's kind of similar and um, that you were just curious and saw that this is this new tool that can be helpful in my field and just came across it and started using it. And now I think like at least to our audience, you're very much a CRISPR researcher. That's kind of how they know you. That's really great that you've now made a mark from like moving from electrical engineering into biology, seemingly integrating that well. So can you like tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you're currently doing at Cardia and especially how these really diverse uh, educational backgrounds or just learning about all these different topics, how that helps you in your role? It's actually a soup of sciences in my brain. I connect different things. And, and sometimes my colleagues just listen to me and they think I'm crazy. But I am. I was really fortunate to actually be exposed to all of these different sciences, because I think today we live in an era where everything is so multidisciplinary. So I was never trained as an expert electrical engineer because I was. I did that during my undergrad. I was really good at it, but I it wasn't like, you know, I'm not like a PhD expert in, in, in electrical engineering. And then I did biomedical engineering where I were exposed to like medical devices and designing sensors and all of that. And, and again, during my postdoc, I was put in a chemistry lab first where I had to do a lot of chemistry and then do a lot of biology when I became an NIS fellow and also was able to do some engineering. So it allowed me to really get a significantly larger perspective of how to develop a project and uh, really not feel limited in terms of knowledge because I always knew and I accepted that I'm not an expert in every field. But what I'm good at is it's really putting all the sciences together and knowing what I want from a project and then you know, recruiting experts or bringing in experts to help me in developing this. And uh, this is basically, I think, if I have had any success, it's because of that mentality. And the beauty of this is that as I collaborate with people, I learn significantly from them. Since I started working on CRISPR, I can easily say that I can give myself a PhD in CRISPR now because it allowed me to, first of all, I took a lot of Syntigo like, um, lessons where it's the ones that you, you know, offer in your um on your website, you have the books. I loved it. That was my first resources to actually learn about CRISPR. And my students actually went through through all of that. I actually also loved Syntego because I felt 
your company was not only you know providing the reagent, but you also were bringing awareness and education, which was a very unique thing. So I learned a lot of things from you guys. And then I started reading a lot of papers, working with people who were CRISPR experts, working with Dr. Virginia's sickness very closely. Today, I can easily sit down and talk with a, with a CRISPR expert with no problem and design devices using CRISPR and all of that. So I think as scientists, we are trained and we should be trained. That we become more open-minded and acceptable and humble about what life has and what technologies you can make, what biology is. And, and it's just the more you learn, the more you feel that you need to learn more. So it's the thirst for learning. And uh, basically, I think this is where I am with CRISPR right now. What I'm doing in Kadia, uh, my role is and, and in my innovation lab, uh, we work on multiple different projects. You know, we do a lot of work with, um, with CRISPR devices, designing the next generation of uh, electronics that are powered by CRISPR. And, you know, let's not forget CRISPR is not, uh, CRISPR for me is a, is a technology developed by nature over millions of years. It's this beautiful robot that unzips the double-stranded DNA, looks for its target and finds, and one, once it finds it, 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 then you can, you know, do editing. There's other enzymes. There is millions of enzymes that have a function that we might utilize for, um, for our application. There are these olfactory receptors that are great in smelling things, right? And there's big companies like Ginkgo that are making these synthetic proteins. So you can imagine a world that if we understand the function of proteins, we can really harness their power, combine them with modern electronics and bring really new devices for diagnostics, for, you know, basically sensing. You can smell, you can create an electronic nose, you can see what other creatures or what other species, you know, are powerful at, then look at the receptors and molecules that are, that are uh, playing an important role in that, in, in that functionality and harness their power and combine it with human-made devices and really try to use biology as technology. And this is what my research is about. It's really looking around, looking around, seeing what biology offers and how we can harness its power. At, um, at Cardia Bio, I, I run the team that we execute partners um, project because we have a lot of partnership going on. Our goal is to really become the chipset that a lot of systems are using. These chipsets are supposed to detect a lot of biological signals. And based on our partners' need, you know, we develop those uh, assay on our chips uh, on our chipsets and then they can make a product out of those. So I run the, that team where we do the execution of those projects. In my discovery team, also for Kadea, you know, we developed the next generation of sensing platforms that are more powerful than what we have today. And those are coming up in the next five years or so. And uh, the goal of those is really to basically tap into biology even more and really look at it in, in very, very real, real time. That's an exciting, exciting um, project and mission for me to achieve. In my academic lab, we also do a lot of work on sensors, sensors for aging applications and uh, understanding the role of blood in age-associated diseases. So that's also a nice science where I combine my uh, engineering expertise, you know, to understand biology better and, uh, and offer some solution. So it's all fun. It's, it's, really, it's really fun what I do both at Cadea and in my academic lab. Absolutely, it is. And I mean, no one has any doubt that you would get like an honorary CRISPR PhD if you uh, attempted one. So that's do you guys offer that 
I think that should be our next program, like honorary PhDs. <laughs> but uh, you described all these amazing technologies that you are building on the side and they, they are like a great combination uh, for whether it's CRISPR or, or any other just biological innovation, right? So where do you see generally the field of genome editing heading towards, say, in the next few years with all of these combination of technologies? I think we have a big era of like multiple things happening. First of all, I think genome editing will result in treatment of a lot of diseases. But we also will get to a place where, you know, there will be more requirement of doing genome editing better and safer. You know, of course, needs to, you know, setting up some standards for how do we actually, you know, monitor the quality of, uh, you know, this component for gene editing, this biology for gene editing, and we'll get to a point that the whole process will be regulated. That's one. The second thing I really think that genome editing will become something personalized as well. This is something that we're not working on that much, but I think as we age or, you know, if we have any sort of underlying pathological diseases, the functional of CRISPR in cells might be different because the gene accessibility is different. So we will we will need you know platforms where you know before we treat a patient we can really make it a personalized system where we can really monitor the impact of that uh, that CRISPR complex on that specific patient uh, sample to ensure that we are getting the result that we're looking for. So I think the future will look like more that everything is becoming personalized. And I think for genome editing, it's even more important because our genome is changing as we age, because the accessibility of the, you know, different parts of the gene will be different. And uh, this will result in different sort of off-target based on the population that you're looking at. So I think those things will be developed over time, but I think the progress has been amazing. It has been great. There's a lot of, you know, governmental institutions that are trying to play a part of this to improve the process, you know, and um, I see a very uh, bright future for that. I wanted to kind of ask another couple of questions and maybe kind of like give you a chance to give some advice to those who are following in your footsteps. So first, absolutely love how positive you are and your, your attitude and how basically anything negative that comes your way, you don't even notice it essentially. But has there ever been a time where you did feel unsure about yourself or your next steps? And if so, how, how did you overcome those feelings? Many times. Yes. So when I started my first company, I would go pitch to VCs and I would come out crying because I felt, oh, my God, I don't know anything. And uh, but that only lasted a few hours. And then I would go back and look to see how I can improve myself. And I always had this urge in myself that I don't give up because I think that we fail when we give up. There have been times that I would enter a room and I feel like I don't belong, but none of it was because I was a woman, because I was lacking in expertise. You know, I, I didn't know how to prepare a high level slide, not too deep in science. You know, I needed to be able to communicate with non-scientists. So those are things that I had to constantly go back and, and work on. So, you know, and also early in my career, when I had my son, you know, I had to, you know, he was, he was very sick when he was born. And, and uh, you know, I had to take my qualification exam while in the, you know, while he was in the hospital, while he was really sick. So it's, it's all of those challenges. But the, the important thing is that there's challenges, but there's also a lot of bright side in your life. There's also a lot of opportunities that you're given. So the, this is the message that I want to really give to all women. Please try to focus on the positive. You know, don't associate everything with your gender because sometimes it's not about your gender. But if you have that outward force that, you know, the limitation will not allow you to do anything, 
you will carry that in your decision. You know, if you don't feel like you belong in a room, maybe it's not because of you're a woman, maybe because you're lacking an expertise. So go back and learn it. Have the courage, have be brave in, in addressing those issues. And, you know, it will start within you. It will start within us. You know, if we stop asking the question of how does it feel, you know, how does working in a male-dominated field feel? That's a negative question to me. You're again shifting the focus on, on something that it's a limitation. You're giving the message that it's very difficult to work in a male-dominated field. I work with my colleagues here. They're mostly male, and I, I learn from them. I have never felt that you know I was treated differently. It depends on organization. But, of course, there might be organization that, you know, there are things that needs to be improving, but we don't have to actually bring so much attention on them, right? It's like, you know, you're going to enter a field, an industry that is all male-dominated, for majority of reason, but then if you walk in with the feeling that okay, I'll be treated bad because I'm a female, that's something that starts within you. So first of all, the first thing we need to do is to not focus on those negative feelings. Focus on your capabilities, what you can bring as a professional. You know, look to see if if you've been criticized on something. Is it actually you know gender related or is it actually a lack of expertise? And it's okay. We do have we as women do have less experience than men because we haven't been exposed to that field that much. So trying to really, again, focusing on positive, you know, and shifting your focus on the possibilities rather than, you know, paying too much attention to what could go wrong. That's the first step we can take as women in the field. And this is how we increase the number of women and how we, you know, by gravity, we pull more women into this sort of industries. So I don't call them limitations in my, you know, that I had challenges like everyone else in the life, but um, out of those challenges came a new experience, you know, a new skill set, which I'm really grateful for. That's really such a nice way to say it, Kiana. It's, it's true. I mean, one, we have to just kind of accept whatever the situation is, but then also be positive about it and not necessarily attribute it to, you know, gender bias or or other things when sometimes it is, sometimes it's not and best not to dive too much into it, but focus more on improving yourself and looking at if there are any ways in which you could have done that really. I do know though that just having a supportive environment, I mean, how much how much difference that makes in, in just your confidence and, and how you move forward, right? So, could you speak to how can others, you mentioned your colleagues have been great. Like, so how can others around you, men or women, create an encouraging environment uh, so that they are an ally and, and just encourage female leadership as well, right? The topic of self-confidence is really important because I felt like I started gaining more self-confidence myself when I tried to empower people around me. When you empower people around you, they gain self-confidence. And as a result of that, you will have more self-confidence. When you try to be in control of everything and, and make sure that everything is done your way, that's when you know you lose your self-confidence because if something goes wrong, it's all on you because you know that you have made all those decisions. But then when you bring people with you to work with you as a team, you hold them accountable and you trust them on their decision, even if they make mistakes, that creates a sort of trust and creates self-confidence in the people around you. And that automatically reflects on you because then you're not alone. You're a team of people and you're, you're putting to you, you're trying to unite your, your ideas and to come up with solution. It's been significantly helpful for me when I know that if I'm lacking an expertise, I can call out 
or I can, you know, reach out to one of my colleagues or one of my, you know, mentees even, or the talents that I have around me at Kadia and, and really ask them for help. It's being open-minded to work and collaborate with people have, gave, have given me significant amount of um, self-confidence. And this is one lesson that I learned, and I hope that it works out for other people as well. All right. Thank you, Kiana. We'll wrap up. I just want to thank you so much for your time, even more so for what you're doing in your multiple roles. You're really changing the world. I know that you've already made the world a better place for my two daughters through the work you're doing and inspiring your colleagues, um, peers, and uh, mentees as well. So really a heartfelt thank you from myself and everyone at Syntego. Thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to CRISPR Cuts. I invite you to check out the Synthigo blog, The Bench, for more great CRISPR content. Please send us any feedback you have by contacting us on Twitter. And if you want to join in as a guest on our podcast, email us at crispercuts at synthigo.com. CRISPR Cuts is a scientific podcast by Synthigo, produced by Kevin, Minu, and me, Bobby. Additional production by Resonate Recordings. Our cover art is by Jeff Merrick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.